pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? It's forbearance and patience. Not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Paul doesn't mince his words there, does he? How many of you could name uh, some of the common symbols of justice around the world? Feel free to just shout any out. Does anyone know any common symbols of justice? Scales? Okay, yes, scales. Any other ones stand out? Someone said something there. A sword? Okay, I like it, yeah. Does anyone know? This? So there's a, there's, a, there's a piece of art, there's a personification of all of that that ties a few of these together. Does anyone know who that is? Okay. So outside many supreme courts, outside many judicial institutions around the world, Lady Justice stands tall for all to see, often in the form of a statue or a painting. In one hand, she holds a sword, the sword of justice, a symbol of authority and power, an ever-present reminder that justice can be swift and final. In her other hand, she holds balance scales, the scales of justice. It conveys the idea that each side of a legal case will be weighed and fairly considered, that the evidences and testimonies will be weighed before all, so that the verdict is fair and the consequences are justifiable. And on her head, Lady Justice wears a blindfold, representing impartiality, the ideal that justice should be applied without regard to wealth, power, gender, or ethnicity. It's a powerful symbol representing the ideals of human justice. But as we know, in a fallen world, with imperfect people like me, imperfect people like you, Justice sometimes seems nowhere to be found. Great atrocities go unpunished. The vulnerable are taken advantage of. Loopholes are found for the rich and powerful. And even in great courtroom movies, lawyers are said to be smart if they never ask their clients whether they're guilty or innocent. Even with regard to the offences that you and I experience as individuals, we can sometimes be left hurting and broken, asking God, where are you in all of this? So today, church, I pray you'll be challenged, but I pray you'll be encouraged as we reflect on these words from Paul. I believe we'll uncover some helpful takeaways that help us navigate through this life as followers of Jesus who believe God is still just. First of all, because God is just, we can hold on to truth. Because God is just, we can hold on to truth. Not just a knowledge of truth, not just a gathering of facts, but a practicing of the truth. Church, let's hold on 
to truth. The Christians in Rome, the people this letter was addressed to, they were a mix of Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians um, that we would call Gentiles. Um, In chapter 1, Paul has been building this almost a a dark picture, uh, describing the corrupt nature of mankind. He paints this dark picture of what happens when people reject God and all the evil that can flow out of that. And then in chapter 2, Paul seems to switch his focus and begin to address those that have made themselves the standard by which they judge others. People that seem to judge everyone and everything by their own standard. And Paul is addressing the fact that a self-righteous or morally superior way of thinking had crept into the hearts and minds of the believers at that time. And Paul reminds us that they are not the standard. We are not the standard, but God is the standard. Listen to verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Therefore, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. It's interesting that Paul links God's judgment his justice to truth. He shines a light on the fact that there is a foundation and a basis to God's judgment, a standard of truth, not found in the way I perceive the world, not found in the way you perceive the world, but a standard of truth found in the righteousness and the character of God that is a measuring stick for good and for evil. Over and over again, the Bible commends those who seek out truth. Truth that corresponds to the reality of the world God's created and who he is. For example, the book of Acts chapter 17, the Berean Jews there were considered more noble than anyone else because when they received Paul's message with eagerness, they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. In Isaiah 1.18, God says to his people, come now, let's reason together. It suggests he has a, a desire for us to come to a knowledge of what's right for us what's best for us and how we can live in a way that honours God for his glory and for the good of others. If you read further into Romans, Paul tells us that we shouldn't conform to the pattern of this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we'd be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Because God is just, we can hold on to truth you see it's only when we have a standard of truth that right and wrong can rise above human opinion I was reading about um, an orphanage uh, in an eastern country and it's filled with young people and children with physical and mental disabilities and unfortunately most of the children are there not because the family can't take care of them but because They refuse to. Belief systems in that region hold strongly to reincarnation, to the teachings of karma, that people who are born with disabilities because of sins that they've committed in previous lives. And so if they're ever to escape a world of suffering, they must work off their bad karma. From a family's perspective, the most compassionate thing they can do is abandon the children to the world so that they can work off their bad karma. Now, if truth, truth was based on human opinion, who would we be to, to challenge that? 
but because there's a standard of truth found in the righteousness and the goodness of God, we can kind of say there's something not quite right. That human value doesn't come from human opinion, but it comes from a God who says people are fearfully and wonderfully made, made in the image of God. It's only when we have a standard of truth that right and wrong can rise above human opinion. What about you? Where do you go to for truth? Is it found in popular opinion, cultural values, or do we get it in Jesus Christ and who he is? You see, God is just, and his righteousness and his holiness provides a standard for us. And don't get me wrong, we, don't, we all fall short, so we'll come on to that shortly. But what we find is that while we have a human nature has a tendency to try and push out God out of our everyday life, out of our hearts, out of our relationships, and trade it for personal preference, suddenly truth becomes blurred and becomes more relative. And today while we're here that there is your truth, my truth, his truth, her truth, Jesus Christ stands eternally and says, I am the truth. Church, let's be a people that holds on to truth, not just an acknowledgement of truth, not just a gathering of facts, but a practicing of the truth. People who walk in truth, who hold on to truth. Ten um, years ago, I started a a job in door-to-door sales. I spent a few months in door-to-door sales and one day, uh, like doing the job, you meet so many people, you go into so many different houses, you have so many experiences, um, so many stories have come out of that job. Um, on one particular day, I, something had happened, um, and I used to tell this story of going into, me and my team, we were having a bad day of sales, we went into this high-rise flat, me and a colleague, we knocked this entire high-rise flat, we met a load of quirky, interesting people, had some funny stories, we came out with a load of sales and it was a good day. Now I used to tell that story and when, I, when it happened to me, it, I came home, I um, told my family and it got a load of good laughs, so I thought, yeah, it's a good story, that's a good story, I'll remember that one. So one time I was asked to speak um, at our youth programme on a Friday night and I thought, I've got the perfect illustration so I used this story but because I knew it was a good story I um, sprinkled on a bit of spice I uh, added a bit of extra details I put a few a bit of embellishment here a bit of exaggeration there and it made it an even better story to tell and everyone loved it and it went down a treat then I, I was asked to speak at a getaway a few months later and I thought I've got the perfect story. So I used it again, but again I sprinkled a bit more spice on it, added a bit more, a few extra details, a few more lies mixed in there, a bit more exaggeration, a bit more embellishment. Really good story now, so it got even more laughs. It went down a treat. I thought, I've nailed, this is a great story. Then one time I, I was asked to speak on a Sunday, and I thought, it's a new audience. I've got the perfect story. So I took this story and I began typing out this story onto my pages. And as I was typing out and reading it back, I felt so convicted that I couldn't even discern what the truth was and what the lies were because it had all become so blurred. And I'd mixed in my own truth with what was actually true. And I genuinely couldn't remember what was true. 
and what was false. I felt so convicted as I was writing this that I was preparing to go and proclaim to uphold the truth, but I was doing it using lies and falsehood. I was convicted as I thought back to Jesus' words in Matthew's where he called them out for placing on people a weight that they weren't even willing to lift themselves. God's word is alive and active. It refines us, it sharpens us, it course corrects us. Let's be a people that hold on to truth. Let the character and the nature of God spur us on to be people who value truth, walk in the truth, honour the truth, uphold the truth. Let's be a, a people who pursue Jesus, who know his heart, hold to his teachings, for it is then, Jesus said, that we will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Because God is just, we must hold on to truth. Following that, because God is just, we can extend his grace to others. Listen to verses 3 and 4 again. So when you, a mere human, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness? forbearance and patience not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance I'm always amazed when I listen to people that are able to go into universities and stand in lecture halls and just take questions about anything and um, defend the faith from a biblical perspective and one question that always seems to come up is the questions on the existence of evil and it seems that it was the same in Paul's day. That sometimes it's so easy for us to misinterpret the patience of God as a weakness. We can often mistake his kindness as his acceptance or his approval. Yet God reminds us and the self-righteous people that, God, uh, that uh, Paul was talking to in his day. That his kindness, his grace and his mercy is intended to draw us back to himself and to who he is. And if we've been recipients of his kindness, if we've been recipients of his goodness, who would we be to then withhold it from others? Because God is just, we can extend his grace to others. What a beautiful description of God's character that is there. The riches of his kindness forbearance and patience it suggests a real abundance of his goodness towards his people people like me people like you that don't deserve it an unmerited generosity to his kindness a lavishness to his patience and often we don't even realize we need it but isn't it just worth taking a moment just to consider your own our own lives and how god's goodness and patience has just been richly and abundantly poured out over us 
Just take that moment in your heart, just say, God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for that patience. Thank you for the mercy, God, that met us where we are. That oh, we didn't deserve it, God, you poured out richly an abundant supply of your goodness and your patience and your mercy. You see, the fact that God is just, it means that he does what's right in all circumstances. In the Gospels, we see God's justice came to life on the cross. That when he refused to overlook sin, he poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty that we deserve. And as a result, the righteousness of Christ is credited to us, or to all who believe. This was a costly sacrifice for God, his one and only son. But it satisfied his strict standard of justice while expressing his abundant, rich supply of mercy. There is no room to boast in our own good works. There is no room for us to claim that we live up to God's perfect standard. There's no way we could ever have paid back the price of sin that we owe. But Jesus took our sin upon himself and paid the price for us. What a gracious, merciful God we serve. It's no wonder it's called the good news. Let's extend his grace to others. You see, if we just stop at truth, if we're just people that gather facts, if we're just people that gather knowledge, we can find ourselves in a dangerous territory. Whereas Christians, we can make it more about winning an argument, winning a debate, at the expense of losing or hurting people. As imperfect people, if we just stop at truth, we have a tendency to perhaps become a little judgmental. A feeling of being morally superior. We can take the sword of lady justice like we discussed at the start and begin to hurt people and hit people and force people into submission. But on the other hand, if all we had was grace but no truth, then there would be chaos. Where nothing, where anything goes and everyone does what pleases themselves. But Paul reminds us that what we see from this passage is instead of using truth to drive people and to push people and to beat people into submission, it's the grace and the truth working together that draws and leads people back. Do you notice the word in there? It's not that it's people who take the truth and we drive people into repentance. It says that his kindness leads us. It guides us. It draws us. The grace of God leads us with his truth to a changed heart and changed minds. We've heard John Andrew say it like this, that grace makes the way, but truth makes the change. Grace makes the way, but truth makes the change. I love how Jesus introduced at the beginning of John's gospel It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Out of his fullness, we have already received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, God sending Jesus to us was an act of grace and truth in itself. And that grace and truth continued through the heart and ministry of Jesus. And even though it was 2,000 years ago, we are still 
beneficiaries of the grace and the truth of Jesus Christ. So as followers of Jesus, let's hold to the truth, but let's pray for the wisdom and the understanding to put it into practice. Let's extend his grace, his kindness onto others, our wonderful saviour. Because God is just, we must extend his grace. Historically, this has always been how Christian communities have left their mark on society. They try to show the goodness and the love of God to those in their world, even at a great cost. I was reading about in the 4th century how Emperor Julian pointed out that these qualities in Christians, he was speaking about Christians and their cause and what they were doing. He says, their cause has specially been advanced through the long loving service rendered to strangers and through their care of the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the Galileans care not only for their own poor but for ours as well while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should render to them. Pointing out the quality that they went out of the way to show kindness and grace to those, even if they weren't even in their same community or belief system. During that same period when the plague and disease would threaten to wipe out entire communities, it was the Christians that went in to comfort the sick, to provide aid in their homes, even though they knew they were very likely to catch the disease themselves. And today, thousands of years later, the heart of Jesus remains the same, full of grace and truth. What about you? Do you recognise the kindness of God in your own life? Do you, show, do you struggle to show grace to others? Who has God put in your world who you can share the grace and truth of Christ? You see, our vision is to be a light on a hill, transforming our communities one person at a time. And last week we heard Cookie deliver and share the vision with us as we begin to sow into that and continue to sow into that over the next few weeks. But as we consider all that we're speaking, to, to, speaking about today, let's let our faith rise. We're giving into something bigger than ourselves. It's easy to listen to all that Cookie shared and say, well, I'm not going to benefit from what we're building or I'm not going to benefit from this or that. But we need to catch God's heart for our communities and remember the kindness and the patience that God has shown us and we want to extend that to others. We want to extend the reach of the church beyond this auditorium so that others can encounter the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. We want to be a community of believers where the vulnerable can find a place of safety, where the brokenhearted can find healing, where those, that need, those in need can, find, can know the provision of his abundant grace, where those that are weary can find a place of rest and a saviour to whom they can cast their burdens and anxieties. Let's be a church that extends the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ to others. Because at the end of the day, no one is perfect. But with Jesus, anything is possible. Because God is just, we must hold on to truth. Because God is just, we must extend his grace to others. And finally, because God is just, we can live with hope. You see, we know that God is a just God. Righteous and holy in all he does. But on top of that, how encouraging is it to know that he is a personal and close God. That he cares deeply for you 
as an individual. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, he wants the best for you. That you don't need a law degree to make your prayers heard in the courts of heaven. But the Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. That we can make our requests known to him because he hears us and he cares for us. Boldly come before the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If the band would like to come back up. See, if you've been around church long enough I think it's such a simple truth but so easy to forget that God is a personal relational God that he sees us as a people but he looks down and sees you as an individual and cares so much for each one of us I was reminded of this just recently that um, just before Christmas it was a really uh, rough time at work that The team that I'm in, we were being put under um, a lot of pressure and it felt quite unfair and it went on for a few days. In fact, I struggled sleeping for a a few days Um, and as it was going on, I just started to feel myself getting a bit bitter towards um, certain individuals that were applying the pressure and one day I just came to my devotional time and I just began to write out all my frustrations um, in this journal I've began to write out how the the stuff that I was that was getting to me the stuff that I was praying for um, and I kind of just left it there and gave it to God and just began reading um, the devotional for that day and as I began reading um, part of the study that I was reading it was a scripture that was almost word for word the frustrations that I'd just written down And it was just a moment where it just hit me like that, that I was reminded of how personal and relational God is, that he does see what you're going through. That you're not on your own. That there's nothing too small that you can't bring to him because he does care for you. And like I say, when you've been in church so long, it's so easy to forget the personal and relational side of God that says, I want the best for you. I am the good shepherd who wants you to lie down in green pastures to lead you beside still waters and who wants to restore your soul see I recognise there might be as we're speaking about this idea of justice and God hearing us I know it might hit a little closer to home for many of us that are going through some rough times maybe even injustices right now Maybe you're struggling with the unfair redundancies that are going on at the moment. Maybe you're struggling with how family members have treated you. Maybe you're struggling with abuse or pain that you've been carrying from the past. And the thought of extending grace and forgiveness seems like the last thing that we'd want to do. But God does see and he's, kind, he's got a rich abundance of kindness and patience and mercy to extend to you. But offering grace and mercy to others isn't the same as saying, pretending it never happened. It's not the same as pretending people never hurt us. It's not the same as saying, let's be friends and forget that it happened. In fact, some circumstances, some people are bad for us. And God's justice is often worked out through the law enforcement and through the courts. 
But true forgiveness is saying, I'm not trying to get equal anymore. I'm handing it over to God. I'm handing it over and bringing it to the feet of Jesus. And it says we bring it to the feet of Jesus, even through the discomfort of our forgiveness, even through the discomfort of all that's going on, we get a peace that surpasses all understanding. We get a strength found in the joy of his presence. And we find hope that what the enemy meant for evil, God can work for good. Because God is just, we can live in hope. It was Job that looked at the tragedy all around him, but stirred up hope in his heart and said, I know my Redeemer lives. It was Isaiah speaking the words of comfort to the people in that cultural moment. And he says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And it was Paul, as he was faced with injustice all around him, being locked up, being beaten, facing imprisonment. He looked up and stirred up hope in his heart and said, none of these things move me. My only aim is to press, to finish the race, to complete the task the Lord has given me, the, test, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Friends, because God is just, we can live in hope. In the busyness and in the mundaneness sometimes of our lives, it's easy to forget that time isn't just going on aimlessly. But the great hope of all Christians is that as God's orchestrating our past, present and all of human history and future, God's going to achieve his ultimate plan when Christ will return to restore the earth once and for all. That while we trust God with our struggles, while we put our hope in his justice, while we put our hope in his righteousness, there's a day coming when the Lord will return. That he will wipe every tear from their eyes, Revelation says. That there'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away, and the new has come. Because God is just, we can live in hope. So church, I pray you've been challenged. I pray you've been encouraged as we reflect on Paul's words. I hope you've seen that there are some really helpful takeaways for us that drive us forward as people wanting to follow Jesus in for such a time as this. People who believe that God is still trust. What do we know? Because God is trust, we can hold on to truth. Because God is just, we can extend his grace to others. And because God is just, we can live in hope. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you right now, Lord, and we just, first of all, say thank you. Thank you for who you are, God. Thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. We look back in our lives and see your goodness, your mercy, your kindness at work. And God, we're just so grateful, Father, that we don't haven't earned the right to come to you. But God, you've called us sons and daughters because of your wonderful grace. 
God, in your word, you said that your Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, the one who guides us in all truth. And so, God, we just pray that we would be a church, a people that cling and hold on to truth, not just gathering the facts, not just the gathering of knowledge, but God, people who walk out truth in our daily life, who, people who practice the word of God, people who put into practice the things Jesus told us, God. We know that it's knowledge that puffs up, but it's love that builds up. So God, we pray also for the grace to walk as people that honour you, that please you, that glorify your name and benefit others. God, we pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Lord, that we may know your will, Lord. God, help us to see opportunities you've put in front of us, God, to extend your kindness, to extend your mercy, to extend your patience to others, Father God. We want to be a people that love others, God. People that reflect your heart for people. People that see people the way you see them, God. Not through our own lens of reality, but God, through the way you have made them, the value you've placed on people. So God, we just come to you and say, help us, Lord. Help us build a kingdom that reflects who you are, Lord. Let your spirit just flow within all that we do here, Lord God. And we offer the vision up to you, Jesus, just to say, God, have your way. Do what only you can do, Lord. Because it's only by your spirit, Lord, that we can bear any fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.